We're very grateful. We're very grateful today to have Jason Cunningham, our bishop, as uh, our preacher today. One of the things that I wondered when I came here a year ago is, what does this mean to have a bishop? And one of the wonderful things I discovered is it means that I, as a pastor, have a pastor. And uh, I'm so very grateful for uh, the times that he and I have together every month for reflection and prayer. One of the things you need to know about Jason uh-oh, I don't care. Is, <laughs> is that he is one of the funniest guys I know. And uh, Shannon will tell you in the church office that when Jason and I get together, we laugh and laugh and laugh. And I sometimes think that she thinks we're having too much fun. <laughs> but uh, I'm so grateful for that, those times of uh, laughter together. Me too. So, let's pray. Gracious God, we're so grateful for Jason's ministry to our congregation and to this district, and to the other two districts as well. We pray now for a fresh anointing upon him and upon each of us so that our ears and our hearts and our lives might be open to receive what you have placed upon him to share with us. We pray through Christ. Amen. Amen. In 27 years of pastoral ministry, I have been to two protests. And one was the vigil on racial justice just last Friday in Lancaster City. And that was at my wife Joanne's urging. And while I was there, I felt uncomfortable when the chanting began, hands up, don't shoot, hands up, don't shoot, as that was shouted right next to the police station. You see, I'm a prayerful presence kind of guy. And I think that's where my gifting lies. I believe that the inner life drives the health or the unhealth of much of our gospel expression. In fact, about 25 years ago, I was invited to attend a group of Anabaptists interested in bringing spiritual formation to the Mennonite church. And I sat right next to Danette's dad, Sandy Alwine. Now, why do I tell you this and why do I start a message like this? Well... You have to know a little of the background, because for the first time in my pastoral career, I was drawn to not one, but two Old Testament texts in the lectionary on the third Sunday in Advent. The third Sunday in Advent when everybody except conscientious song leaders are aching for Christmas songs. My goodness, it's December 14th. This place better start looking and sounding like Christmas. <laughs> and I forsook 
Mary's Magnificat. Oh, Mary, did you know? That Sunday, I forsook the Magnificat to focus on the incredibly complicated and unchristmassy theme of justice. Justice is like a piece of coal in the third Sunday in Advent's worship stocking. But, Isaiah 61 and its vision of what salvation can bring into this week, into this moment, into this Monday, is actually quite Christmassy. Written at a time when the social structure was struggling, the economy was floundering, kind of like, just like now in Western culture. And the author is grabbing us by the face in the midst of all that, saying, look at the big picture. That's what this Sunday is all about. It's not about the minutiae and the little things and the warm and fuzzy. It is that this person is reaching down, grabbing us by the face and say, let's take a moment to look at the big picture. I know you got a lot of stuff going on in your mind. I know you're going to be at the mall this week. But let's look at the big picture for just a moment. We need reminders to break into our woe is society mentality. And to just be reminded that we have access to resources that transcend greed. And we have access to resources that transcend environmental consumption and societal selfishness. So the third Sunday in Advent is a call to shout out the big picture. And that's what we're doing this morning. This is, this is a time to just say, let's get a look at the big picture. What is this Christmas all about? Is it about baby Jesus? Is it about warm and fuzzy? It's about the big picture. And that's what we're looking at. Because when Jesus was asked to define His vocation, what are you about? Why are you here? He quoted Isaiah 61. When John the Baptist was in prison and he was having doubts about his life's work, was what I, do, was what I did worth it? What's the connection? He sent some of his friends to talk to Jesus about who he was. And Jesus said, you go tell him I'm living out Isaiah 61. We shine light into the dark places of our lives first, and then we shine light into the dark places into society. The places that need to be hidden and denied. And so when I look at that, I'm drawn to those two Old Testament texts. What it says not only is big picture, but it says justice, justice, and more justice. And that's coming from a prayerful presence kind of guy. So, on the third Sunday in Advent, when the meaning of Christmas takes a sharp turn towards the target parking lot, we can affirm what is possible because of Christmas. Jesus entered the world so you and I could dance around in the truth of Isaiah 61. 
So what I would say is when you find yourself in the Target parking lot, nothing wrong with that. Do a justice dance when you shut the door and just say, and see the big picture. Just do a little justice dance in an Anabaptist East Chestnut kind of way. I don't know what that is. Maybe that just involves one finger. But it's better than nothing. Do a justice dance in the parking lot. Fools for Christ. But that's another time. So what I did, what I did this morning is I simply took the big picture view in Isaiah 61, the clear message of what salvation looks like, and I mixed in Psalm 126 that models a skill that we can try this week that will invite joy to enter a dark place. And with that, when I put those two things together, I got my theme, justice with joy. And so I want to share with you, this is all I want to do with that, take those two big picture themes and share with you four things that you can do this week that will serve as antidotes to the four most common justice killers. Because justice killers obscure the big picture, and today is about the big picture. These activities that I'll suggest may be a way to open up justice with joy in your week, in some place that you find yourself this week as you prepare for Christmas. And the first task or the first thing is vulnerability. Vulnerability. This is the antidote for the justice killer of self-doubt. And what can I do? Why, I'm this or I'm that or I have this weakness, or I have this problem. What can I do? And besides, it won't make a difference anyway. Opportunities to shine light are all over the place. I mean, when I saw and heard about the Senate report on the CIA that came out this week, I was so disturbed by the process the misdirection, the language that was obscured and mystifying, and calling torture, excuse me, EIT, enhanced interrogation techniques. I was so disturbed at that. Now, I, I want to acknowledge nothing is as clean as it seems. I know that. But hearing this thing talked about all week, it seemed to me that an awful lot of effort was put in to call evil good. And with that, I felt the justice killer rise up in me. Why bother speaking up? Why, Jason, you've only been to two protests in your career anyway. I don't know enough about the CIA. And then it spilled over into Ferguson. The fact is, yes, I'm part. I'm part of the racist culture. No matter how many trainings I go to, the fact is, we all have limitations. We all have weaknesses. I mean, the scripture is just full of those kinds of people. I mean, why not with the opening of Gods and Kings or that, the Moses movie? Why not use Moses as an example? Moses was inarticulate. He couldn't speak too well. He ran away from his problems. He was not the person you would pick to lead a justice movement. And then Scripture even tells us he did his best to talk his way out of action. 
He shared his limitations. He shared his fears with God. God received them. There's this dialogue in Scripture. But here's the truth. It was his limitations that shaped his demeanor. It was his limitations that shaped the personality that was needed. The very things we think we need God to get rid of before we can do something are the very things that God is going to use to uniquely have you touch a piece of the kingdom of God in a special way. So whatever you're holding and say, God, just get rid of this one thing, then I'm ready. It's not going to happen. Just look at it as if that's the unique thing that is shaping your demeanor and shaping your personality so the kingdom can come near to somebody and something this week. My power is made perfect through weakness. And this big picture that we have, this vision in Isaiah 61 of freedom and comfort and our true selves being liberated, when, when that happens, and we yearn for that, we yearn for that vulnerability and our true selves to come out. And it only happens when we risk living this truth. My power is made perfect in weakness. I mean, I began my, my sermon with vulnerability. I want you to think about it. Here I am. I come here every once in a while. I admit to you I'm a prayerful presence kind of guy. I've been to two protests in three decades and I am being led to talk about justice in this Mennonite Central Committee bastion? <laughs> this place is dripping with justice. What do I have to say? But I was led to the Old Testament texts, not one, but two. And I'm trusting that it's going to hit something within us. This whole thing of vulnerability. Some of you have read the book by Brene Brown. She wrote a book on vulnerability called Daring Greatly. She spent 12 years studying vulnerability. And she has found that vulnerability, that is this self-awareness that we desire, and emotional self-exposure, is the key to creativity, innovation, and change. There is a connection between those who are vulnerable to those who are innovators, those who are creative, and those who are adept at change. And I thought, that is a justice toolkit. That connection between vulnerability and what's going to bring in a justice way of thinking. An Isaiah 61 way of thinking. I mean, when you think of it, we didn't get into the gospel lection, but I guess I can't resist about John the Baptist. He was in an innovative space when we catch him ministering at the Jordan River. He was implementing innovative stuff outside the church system, outside the church walls. Maybe justice happens mostly in that space. And he was making inclusion really simple, really radical. You repent, you're in. You repent, you're in. This was some real innovative area that he was in. 
Well, Brene Brown, after she did this study on vulnerability, she gave a TED Talk on it. And it blew up on the Internet. It blew up on the Internet. It's become one of the top ten TED Talks of all time. Oh, we just love that. We just love that. It was so great. But the problem is, vulnerability is not esteemed. Example. After this TED Talk, she would get CEOs of national companies calling her. Come talk to our company about how we can be more creative, more innovative, and more adept at change. Pause. But, don't talk about vulnerability. Fact is, scriptural truth, personal truth, we are attracted to people who admit weakness. We are attracted to that. Scripture talks about that. And let me just ask you the simple question. When was the last time you said this? Wow, that know-it-all transformed my life. <laughs> Raise your hand. It doesn't happen. Jesus hit the ground running with vulnerability. Those are the Advent message. Oh, the little stable, the, the donkeys and the this and the that. Yes, that's vulnerability. There was a life theme for Him. You follow that story all the way to the end when He comes to the cross and He's silent. Talk about vulnerability. From beginning to end, He's modeling what it is. And the stories in between are say, come on, you want that true self? You want that yearning that you hope for? This is how you're going to get it. It was a life theme. But the fact is, it feels so good when it happens, but it is so hard to do. So, let's practice. We're going to practice a little vulnerability. All of you who are 18 years or older, please stand up. And all these exercises are optional. I've been in this environment long enough to say that. Do not do it. If you don't want to do it, just go like this and do that. But what I'm asking you to do to practice vulnerability is I want you to team up with one other person and say this to that person. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? And the other person says, I forgive you. Then switch roles. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? This is step one in vulnerability training because I know you want this. So go ahead and do that. You may be seated. That's enough vulnerability. You only can take it in little doses. Sit down. Stop your vulnerability. You don't want to go overboard on anything. Thing number two. Vulnerability was the first thing. The second to make us see the big picture is memory. And this is the antidote for the justice killer of cynicism. And that's when I went to Psalm 126. 
known in some of your Bibles, it says a song of ascents. And many interpretations of this, what it means. But, you know, you can look in any book of the Bible, any verse of the Bible, and you're going to find many interpretations. But one of the more popular and more accepted understandings of what these songs are is that they were a series of 15 songs or psalms that were sung as people entered the temple in Jerusalem and walked up the 15 steps into the sanctuary. And memory, when you look at that psalm again, memory was a key component of the preparation, of the reception. And the fact is, you know, we read these psalms and go, oh man, if I only had a gifted life like that. The fact is, when they sang these songs, all was not well in paradise. And listen to what they say. Remember God when you did great things. Remember that God? Yeah, you remember that when that happened? And remember remember how happy we were, God? Yeah, that was a great feeling. Remember that? Verse 3, we rejoiced. That's what's going on in that text. Memory of God's activity is an antidote to cynicism. And maybe you're at that place. Maybe you are one who's saying, yeah, all this commercialization of Christmas. The American Music Theater, my goodness, they started their Christmas show on November 16th. How terrible. Nothing will ever change. And you get stuck in that. Or maybe you're a joy killer and you have an attitude of judgment. Or maybe you're just feeling abandoned by God and separated from God's presence. And so, if you are in darkness right now, jump on the steps. Jump on the steps. Remember a time when God's presence seemed palpable. And I think there is at least one of those in your life. And I, you can't convince me otherwise. Look out the window, you'll find one. Is there a tree? You got one. A time when God's presence seemed close. Or an answered prayer. A time when God spoke to you through someone. Or you were touched by a hymn or one of Todd's sermons. Last week was a great sermon. God is coming near all the time. So close your eyes. Close your eyes. Again, all exercises are optional. You need freedom in an Anabaptist congregation. Close your eyes. Take a couple deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. And I want you to remember a time when God came close. When the kingdom of God came near. And when you have it, just rest in that for a bit. And then when you're done, keep your eyes closed and just say thank you to God. You can open your eyes. Big picture activities, vulnerability, memory, Forgiveness is the third one. 
This is an antidote to the justice killer of spiritual stuckness. Spiritual stuckness. You've walked through cynicism. You've walked through what can I do. And now you just feel spiritually stuck. And you get caught up in the advent. You just get overwhelmed with all the the diversions in the church around advent. But I just want to tell you, the bottom line is that the entrance of Christ into the world is a redemption story. That's what it is. And it's based on our ability to give and receive forgiveness. It's important. Forgiveness is central to the Anabaptist value of peacemaking. And peacemaking is important to justice making. So, if you follow that, I don't know what the logical thing is, what you call that, a syllogism or something, if, 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 then, here's the then part, then based on that, Anabaptists should be experts at forgiveness. Or, I don't know, maybe you are here. But I would simply say, at least there's room for improvement. And I only say from my own perspective, I've been convicted how lousy of a forgiver I am. And you know how that is? You know, when you're one who's called, you, you preach and you share things about the love of God and forgiveness, and here I am telling you, I'm a lousy forgiver. But I think everybody is. We're always beginners. There's always something that can cut us off at the knees. That ties back to the limitations and weaknesses that God will uniquely use to shape you to share the kingdom. So I was convicted of how lousy a forgiver I was. So a few months ago, over the summer, I woke up one morning, I got my cup of coffee, and I went out on the side porch, which overlooks this church, And I got on the porch and I started releasing stuff. I started doing this. I am mad at this person for all the right reasons. And I spelled them out. I'm mad. And I prayed for them and I released them. I did that for two weeks. Got my cup of coffee and my Starbucks mug that my daughter gave me. Out on the porch looking out on East Chestnut Street. I released things. And then I realized after a couple weeks, it calmed me. I don't know. One uh, forgiveness practitioner says forgiveness asks us to function on a higher frequency. And maybe that's what happened when I was calm. I was functioning on a higher frequency that you only experience when you do that. And then I went on, I have to say that I went on and took an online class on forgiveness. Isn't that great? You forgive anonymously. It's like a chat room. I did not enter any of the chat stuff. I learned a prayer of forgiveness, which was very good. I still use it. It's very helpful. But forgiveness is one of those things that opens us up to see the big picture. It opens up a gateway for the true self to kind of like talk about the light of Christmas or a shoot of Jesse or whatever image you want to use. It comes out through forgiveness. So close your eyes. 
couple of deep breaths. And I want you to think of some person or some situation that you need to forgive. And when you get that person or situation in mind, I want you to just simply pray, I release, put that person or situation in there into your hands, O God. You can open your eyes. We're looking to see the big picture of Christmas. We've looked at vulnerability. We've looked at memory. We've looked at forgiveness. And now the last gift from these scriptures is dreaming. This is the antidote for the justice killer of hopelessness. Again, I go to Psalm 126, the first verse. They're entering the sanctuary. They're reflecting on how God has blessed them. And the scripture says, or the psalm says, it was so joyous, they couldn't even think it. They said it was beyond what we could even dream. It was like we were in a dream and this wasn't a nightmare. It was the most positive thing I can think of. That's what it was like, what you were like with us, God. When you restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. The Apostle Paul got this dream fever. One thing I want you to know, through all that I've gone through, Paul says, is that God can do immeasurable more than you can possibly think or imagine. And every once in a while, it's okay to rest in that truth. Every once in a while, it's okay to let the hope out. Who let the hope out? Even if you are a realist. It helps us to think beyond what is and dance around in Isaiah 61. And I tell you that I'm a classic what-if thinker. What if this bad thing happens? What if the conference splits? What will that do for me? What if, what if, what if? I'm good at it. I've practiced it. But I'm just telling you, I want to take this, you can take a what if and turn it just a little bit. What if, I thought, the Spirit of the Lord God really is upon us? And I'm thinking, what if the Lord has anointed us what if the Lord has sent us to bring good news to the oppressed? What if I could actually proclaim liberty to captives? What if I could be released from my own personal captivity? What if I could shine light into my life and come out singing? What if in this Advent our mouths would be filled with laughter? And what if our tongues would actually shout with joy? And what if we could say this week in the Target parking lot, in the Walmart parking lot, in Park City, and here at 10,000 Villages? <laughs> what if we could actually say, the Lord has done great things for us? What if that would happen this week? And this is just the third Sunday of Advent. And we still have 11 more days till Christmas.
Amen.